What is the least popular show on Bajor? I don't know. What is the least popular show on Bajor? Keeping up with the Cardassians. Shut up, Wesley! <laughs> it's so bad. And, and, and actually, I should have even been able to guess it. It's so bad. <laughs> Uh, so that was a fan submitted joke on StarTrek.com. Uh, Bill usually comes up with the uh, with the jokes, but you know he's not here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kudos to whoever came up with that. It's it's shockingly bad. It's, it's so bad, bad it's good. Uh, the person's name is Dylan Seymour. Dylan, well done. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Final Frontier, a Treksphere podcast. I'm Adam Mullen, and with me today is Nick Cook. Say hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. <laughs> so, Bill Allen is sick uh, with the flu, or in his words, his wife is trying to kill him. I know that feeling. <laughs> it's probably deserved in my case. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, do we have any, any news? Can you think of any Star Trek news? Star Trek news. Ah, everybody loves and hates Discovery. That's you know, <laughs> that's probably not news. I think that's uh, yeah. Oh, Star Trek news. I have no idea. I don't so, follow Star Trek. Yeah, I, I I couldn't really think of anything besides you know hating loving Discovery. Uh, but uh, at least here in the states, uh, please stand by. Just came out the theaters uh, Ooh, last night. I want to see that. Yeah, and, uh, and to our viewers, because this comes out on Wednesday, so uh, we're recording this on Saturday, so uh, the 27th. So it came out Friday the 26th. Yeah, I, cool. I really want to see it. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, the blurb on StarTrek.com says, uh, Wendy, a young autistic woman and major Star Trek fan, runs away from her caregiver in order to boldly go and deliver her 500-page Trek script in a writing competition in Hollywood. 500 page yeah that's uh wow <laughs> yeah i really want to see it i think i think it'll be good i kind of looked at some reviews last night on rotten tomatoes and and some of the the critic reviews were kind of scathing uh but i i still think it will be it'll be cute it'll be fun I want to see it. The trailer looks great. Yeah. Um, got a good cast in it. I, I, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Yeah. All right, so that's probably it for news. <laughs> yeah, Locke is evil. Yeah. And, or, or is he? Or is he? Yeah, he could be. Um, it could be that the Prime Universe, Lorca, is like the bad guy, and the, uh, uh, the Mirror Universe one's actually good. Although he... He just did something pretty bad there at the end. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's the mirror universe. Maybe he's a freedom fighter. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope so. Yeah, I I called it uh, when I I watched the show with my girlfriend, and when we first saw him in episode three, I was like, you know what? He's gonna be from the mirror universe. I know it. He, I, he's so evil. It's funny because I remember when people were talking about that. It must. It was probably around about that stage, to be honest. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, nah, they're pulling, they're yanking our chain here. And then actually, I think it was the first episode when they're in the mirror universe. And I thought, 
wait a minute, actually, that now looks really plausible. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the fact... It, I mean, we knew they were going to the Mirror Universe, so it wasn't the fact that they were going to the Mirror Universe that I didn't really accept that theory. But it, the first time he's there, it's like, he's adapting to this really quickly. Uh-huh. And he seems to know too much. Yeah. Uh, okay, they were right, they called it. Yeah, <laughs> I gave. And, shockingly, yeah, not a surprise. So, yeah, I, I hope his plan is more of a benevolent one than a i want power mm-hmm. i want I, I hope it's more of a he's more aligned with the rebels and the freedom fighters and he's just trying to like maybe reform the empire or take control to overthrow the this horrible regime i'm not entirely confident that's the case but i kind of hope it is mm-hmm. yeah it would be nice to have something kind of different from the the usual mirror universe trope Absolutely. I, 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 I'm just kind of glad they've not made them all sexually, whatever, you know, yeah. all gay and bisexual and um, sleeping with everybody under the sun. Because yeah. usually there seems to be this <laughs> this ridiculous kind of, they're evil. So they're like, you know, they sleep around and they're bisexual. And it's like as if sleeping around and being bisexual is, you know, or gay is, you know, associated with being evil. And mm-hmm. that always kind of irritated me slightly. That- that's kind of how, what, what I uh, kind of got from Deep Space Nine when they did those Mirror Universe episodes. Yeah. Although, I'm sorry, the Intendant, you know, was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she she was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I anyway. guess we'll, we'll find out uh, soon enough. Although by the time this, this podcast episode airs, it will have already happened and we'll know. But uh, I... I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't wait to see where they're going with this. We've only got a few episodes left. I know some people out there hate it. I've been really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's okay. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Uh, Absolutely. It, it is good stuff. Hopefully people will give it a chance. Uh, I, I can totally see why people wouldn't like it, but it's it's good stuff. It's, it's I, kind of I, refreshing. I agree. I can see why people aren't into it. And, you know, I, I kind of felt the same way with the Abrams reboot movies that, you know, mm-hmm. these are not bad movies. I've kind of enjoyed them. They're not my Star Trek. Yeah. I kind of changed my tune on that with Beyond, but that's a whole other discussion. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm digressing again. That's okay. That's what this is for. So, uh, let's let's get into the, uh, the question of the week. Uh, how I do this is, uh, yeah, I'll ask you the question... Uh, you'll you'll think about the answers. You won't answer right away, and we'll get back to it later. Okay. All right. So this one's submitted by Steve Atwell. He's become our uh, resident uh, trivia master. Uh, his question is: What two animals did Miles O'Brien own as pets? Uh, a. Ooh. Cat and dog. B. Tarantula and cat. C. Tarantula and dog. Or D. Cat and fish. I can answer that now. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, let's let's go to the interview. Cool. All right. So question one. When did you first get into watching Star Trek? <sighs> that that that's uh, an easy question to answer. Um, I probably can't remember when I started watching it. Maybe it's not that easy a question to answer. <laughs> but I can't really remember when I didn't if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, my earliest Star Trek memory is watching 
And I can even tell you the episode, which is not bad going considering this is over 40 years ago. It was the counterclock episode, episode, episode of um, the animated series mm -hmm. with Captain April and that kind of thing. And, and I specifically remember watching this and it must have been, I, it was probably first run in the UK um, in the kind of early mid seventies. And uh, I, I mean, I've, been a fan all my life <laughs> i can't remember a time in my life you know my earliest memories as a child involved star trek i remember building phases and communicators out of lego and um i remember my first birthday party i can remember and i must have been younger than my daughter is now i remember playing star trek and playing captain kirk and i had this little um high chair that i used to have as a child and i was a bit older at this point but I mean, I must have been five or six or maybe seven. And I used to use this as a captain's chair. And, you know, I was playing Captain Kirk at a birthday party. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's tied up in my absolutely my earliest memories of my life. So yeah, as long as I could, you know, watch TV and remember it, I've been into Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So what, what about Star Trek drew, drew you to it? You know, that I can't. There's no single simple answer to that question um as a child i guess i was attracted to the storytelling and the characters and it was fun and it was exciting um as an adult growing well as a teenager and a young man growing up i again it was the storytelling and the characters that drew me in um you know everybody likes the well, most of us like the action and the adventure and the exploration but for me the depth of the storytelling the type of storytelling. I mean, when I was growing up, I was very much into science fiction. I read, I read a lot. I mean, when I was a kid, there was, there was no YouTube, there was no uh, iTunes, there was no Netflix. I mean, I read, I read um, Asimov and Bradbury and all that kind of thing. And Star Trek kind of fed into me and got me that interest in science fiction. So I had that kind of broader education of science fiction. And I read all the kind of um, James Blish novelizations of the episodes because really there wasn't much else around. You couldn't go back and rewatch episodes and mm -hmm. watch them off demand or anything like that. Um, yeah. And I uh, and obviously oh, there are a few original novels in the 70s as well. That I remember buying and reading or actually I used to, some of them used to have to get out of the library because, you know, I was a kid. I couldn't afford to buy books and libraries were where you went. Um, so, yeah, so. The storytelling and the characters very much appealed to me. I mean, I related in some ways to Captain Kirk. I'm not suggesting I'm anything like Captain Kirk. I'm not at all. Um, but as a lot of fans and certainly a lot of young, nerdy guys, um, I did feel like a bit of an outsider. And in some ways, I could relate to Spock in a lot of ways as well. Um, and again, I'm nothing like Spock, but I could relate to that being the one that stood out from the crowd that was a bit of an outsider that wasn't quite as included as other people. So, and I think that drew me into a certain, I, I could get into these characters, I could relate to them, and they had things to say to me that, you know, made sense to me in my head, and I'm not saying they were friends, they were characters, they weren't real people, but you felt a kinship with them. Mm -hmm. um, so the type of storytelling I liked, uh, and I liked that sense of exploration, and science i mean I, I was very much into science as a kid I, I mean more biology than anything but i was very much interested in the sciences and star trek was very pro-science mm -hmm. again so all of these things appealed to me i mean there is no one thing 
I can pick on, but all of these things together are all part of the package of Star Trek that appeals to me. And I think when it comes to being a fan of a creative work of any kind, there never is one thing that attracts us to you. It, it's a package that kind of draws you in, and it's difficult to pinpoint one thing. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like, I mean, they say a lot about Roddenberry and lightning in a bottle with Next Generation and Star Trek. And I think the creative energy and the type of storytelling and all the things about something that attract you to a type of storytelling or a particular story or ca- group of characters, it is lightning in a bottle, and it's different for everyone. So what what draws one person in and makes them a fan of something will not interest another person at all. I guess that's, yeah. That's a very long and waffly answer, but you get <laughs> oh, that. That was great. I, I think you hit it on the nose that it's not just one thing. It's several things, and it's always going to be different for, you know, to the next person. Absolutely. And that, that's what's great about Trek. Absolutely. And I think that brings me back to the point you were asking about we were talking about with people either love or hate Discovery. And I think that's a problem because for a lot of us, for some fans, that magic is there or isn't there. And you see it. And I think there's a, there's a certain degree of animosity amongst people because, well, the magic that I found in my Star Trek isn't in this one, so I'm going to hate that. As opposed to, well, you know what, it's not working for me, but that's okay. Someone else is enjoying it. And I don't understand. You know, it kind of, I can understand where people are coming from with that, but it's a shame that we can't just live and let live, you know, mm-hmm. which is one of the core messages of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite series and film? That, again, <laughs> another loaded <laughs> question, actually. Um, Star Trek! <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I I grew up with the original series, and I was I was a huge I, I I thought Captain Kirk was a bee's knees and that kind of thing. As did a lot of kids my age, I guess. Growing oh, a lot of Star Trek fans growing up, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk. Um, and when we first heard that Next Generation was being made, so obviously I'm an original series fan, but we first said Next Generation was being made, and I I I was one of those fans. And this again, I can relate to where people that don't like Discovery are coming from, because I've been that guy, okay? Next Generation, how can they do Star Trek without Kirk and Spock? That won't be Star Trek. This is terrible. And I watched, I picked up a couple of episodes on VHS Rental. It wasn't from Blockbuster, but some equivalent at the time. And this was kind of late 80s. And it was The Naked Now and Code of Honor. And I got them on Rental VHS. And I watched them and I thought, that is awful it is terrible that is not star trek i hate this show it is rubbish i was right how dare they rape my childhood as you know i I didn't use those words but that was the Mm -hmm. you know the the mindset anyway and uh i waited for a while and then encounter at farpoint was available on rental and i kind of rented that this is this is a long way of getting to my point so i rented that and i watched it and i went this is terrible it was slightly not quite as bad as the previous two episodes I'd watched, but it was still pretty bad. And I thought, rubbish! It's utter rubbish! My, my, my fan outrage is completely justified. So, um, you know, I didn't think about anything for about a year. And I'd gone to university at this not long before this, and it was about 1990, I think. And again, this is in the days before YouTube and digital downloads and all this kind of thing, or illegal downloads even. And there was a guy at my university who had been getting something like 
fifth or sixth generation copies of copies of copies of videotapes that someone had sent over from the States, which is how we used to have to do it in the old days, guys. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how lucky you are. And they take we they take weeks to come and then you'd have to wait weeks for someone to copy them. And these were terrible quality copies. OK, I mean, they were awful. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I got he said, I've got some episodes like, oh, OK, well, yeah, OK, I'll take a look. Season two. Now, season two has season two was certainly an improvement. OK. And I watched a few episodes. and I went, Oh, actually, this isn't as bad as I thought. And I think it was around about the time of it was a, ironically a Wesley Crusher episode, the Dauphin, which I'm sure lots of people hate. Mm -hmm. um, but I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And there's this lovely imagery in it. It's when Wesley and um, the female character whose name escapes me at the moment are in the holodeck standing in this asteroid field. And it's just the imagery in that was so amazing. And that kind of hit me and I thought, kind of has that sense of exploration to it and there's something about the tone in season two i really like as well so i kind of started giving tng a bit more of a second chance well okay it's not original series but i'm kind of liking what i'm seeing here and season two again it's not a great season but some there's actually some really good episodes in there you know pen pals q who everybody everybody likes q who i think mm -hmm. i hope okay most people do um i'm probably wrong but you know um and then it got to season three and i was like Ooh, ooh! I actually really like this. And it was, who watches the Watchers? Third season episode of TNG. And I was like, oh my god, this is as good as the best of original series, easily. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who disagree with that. And that's fine, you know, we all like different things. But who watches the Watchers really, really resonated with me. There was just so much in that beautiful imagery. The dialogue was great. The way the characters worked together, great. There's that scene in the observation lounge with Picard and Nuria, and then the scene in Sick Bay where um, one of the characters dies, and Nuria realizes you're not gods, you can die. And mm -hmm. this, it's just an episode that really resonated with me. And I think by the time Best of Both Worlds in season four came around, kind of a tick in my head. I'd kind of grown up with the original series, but I didn't see it first run. Okay, it was my show, but I didn't see it first run. And I think by the time I really got into TNG, TNG, by the time I got into season three, had kind of taken over for me. And it became my Star Trek. I'd watched it mostly from the beginning. And I grew up with it. I mean, I was a kid with Star Trek and I kind of went through childhood with Star Trek. But I grew into an adult watching Next Generation. And I think for that reason, Next Generation over a period of several years became my Star Trek and my favourite Star Trek. And I'm not going to argue that I haven't, there aren't problems with TNG because there are, and <laughs> I have my issues with TNG. Um, and I think after season three, it started slowly going downhill again. But then original series kind of peaked about halfway through its first season and slowly went downhill. That's debatable, but, you know. Um, anyway, so yes, to answer that question, TNG is my favourite of the Star Trek shows, partly nostalgia, partly because it's my Star Trek. <laughs> Having said that, I have to honorably mention DS9, which I certainly think is probably the most creative mm -hmm. of the mo of 
the pre-discovery post TNG post original series shows mm-hmm. DS9 certainly did more to play with the format and I think probably did some more, much more creative storytelling than any of the other shows mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, I love DS9 I think it's a great show and probably to be fair the only reason it's not my favorite show is nostalgia for TNG to a certain extent but yeah um, TNG probably original series and DS9 is very close second place is my favorite shows I think a lot of people probably feel the same way about TNG as you, you know, watching the first season going, oh, this isn't, this isn't my Star Trek. It's so bad. (laughs) I, I, I still enjoy it. It actually reminds me a lot of the original series in terms of how dry it is. And I actually really like that. I have to say, in hindsight, going back and watching the first season, I actually don't mind it. There are some episodes in there that are utter, utter stinkers. Mm Mm-hmm. Code of Honor being, and Naked Now, funnily enough, being prime examples. But um, I don't mind the pilot. I don't think it's a great pilot, but it's not not actually as terrible as I thought it was when I first Mm -hmm. watched it. And there are a few episodes in the first season that I do actually like. Conspiracy is actually a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually like Too Short a Season. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. I wish they'd done a couple of things differently, like, you know, I don't know. James, I think Admiral Jameson should have been an original series character. Yeah, that would have been cool. Like like Chekhov or somebody like that. But um, yeah, I, I, there are episodes in the... And actually, Neutral Zone's not a bad episode. So yeah, there are episodes in the first season I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like the kind of tone and feel of the second season, even though some of the episodes are not that strong. And they're not <laughs> quite, they've not quite hit hit their mark in the yeah. second season. They definitely really hit their mark in the third season. But there's some great stuff in the second season. I mean, um, oh, God, what's the episode with the Iconians? Contagion. I love that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, there's a lot of things in that episode that are kind of quintessential Star Trek for me. That exploration and excitement at seeing new things and discovering history and that. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot in there that I do like for all its faults. I feel like season two. They're like, okay, we we need to make this different, uh, but you know, we don't, we don't really know what to do. I feel like it's kind of like an awkward child, uh, mm-hmm. awkward middle child. You, you have the first season, it's like, okay, this is this is kind of oh, okay, and season two is like, uh, all right, and then season three is like, oh wow, this is this is really good. I agree. And I absolutely agree. Yeah, that that's where season three like really did it for me, mm-hmm. and season three four probably maybe five yeah yeah five i i I like i like the later seasons a lot there's only one episode or maybe two episodes in the whole series i'm kind of like yikes and the 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 first one being uh uh, masks in season seven i just i've only seen it twice in my whole life i i just can't watch it my wife likes that one (laughs) uh i I mean there's some, some cool stuff in it and so I, I like the acting, but the story itself is like, wh- what is this? Yeah. Wh- what? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I mean, amongst my favorites, I mean, I'm not. I think season five's got a, is a bit hit and miss, but it's got some of my all time favorites in there. Mm-hmm. Darmok is yeah. one of my absolute all time favorite Star Trek episodes out yeah. of any of the series, and I really like Ensign Rowe because mm-hmm. um, I think they went some places that actually they hadn't gone at that point with 
with Roe and that whole story there. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, it set up a lot of stuff that would come later that was really good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot there to like. And, of course, who could forget Season 5, In a Light. Yep. That, that is my all-time favorite episode of anything Star Trek. Oh, it, it's a great episode. Yeah. So how about how about we go on to the next question? Favorite Actually, movie. you know what? You didn't say your favorite film. I didn't Uh-oh. say my favorite film. Again, there's no simple answer to that. Um, I'm going to give a couple, okay? Okay. So watch original series movies. Star Trek Three is my favorite. It's oh, a weird one, yeah. but it's the first one I saw at the cinema. Um, and... I just like the tone and the feel of it, and that final scene where where Spock's Catra and body are reunited, and just that sense of family in it. And I guess it's probably the first one where they got they treated the Enterprise crew as a family, but I like yeah. the way they did it. Um, and I love the the escape from space docks. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some good stuff in that. It is a, it is an odd one. Uh, it is an odd one. Uh, of the of. Oh, of literally the odd-numbered ones, it, I think it's one of the better ones. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, it's like that whole even-odd thing. The even ones are generally better. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so what, yeah. What's your other favorite one? TNG, it's got to be First Contact. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's glaringly obvious, but it is the best of the TNG movies. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't... I like Insurrection, mm-hmm. and I actually... In hindsight, I do actually like nemesis yeah in some ways yeah. i don't think nemesis is as bad as it's made out to be <laughs> yeah i, I think i don't actually think i think the cinematography is great i think it looks good mm-hmm. i think the problem is i think they concentrated too much on the action and not enough on the story and yeah. i think yeah i think frakes would have i think frakes would have made a better movie because mm-hmm. he at least got the characters and i think you would have had that better mix of act act of character and action Mm-hmm. And I think the script still needed work. Yeah. I, but I again, really uh, enjoyed Tom Hardy in that. He was good. Yeah, he was good and went on to much better things. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I have to give an honorable mention to Beyond because I'm not I, – I mean, I think Star Trek 2009 is a good movie, but mm-hmm. I have issues with career progression in it. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, it's not really my Star Trek, although I think it's a good movie and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Into Darkness. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Um, white like Khan. It. White Khan. Sorry. No, no White Khan for me. Well, uh, although wait, wait. Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Yeah, but... that's what redeemed it for me is, I know. is him. He's white. He's white and English. <laughs> Come on. You can't, do well, better than, you can't do better than casting a Mexican as a... Oh, well, yeah, that's what I was about to say is that Ricardo oh, Montalban... You know, was Mexican. I know. I know. But they had an excuse. It was the 60s. It wasn't right, but it was the 60s. Um, they could have addressed that easily, but they didn't care to. Um, but I really, really, really like Beyond. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it, it's just a fun... It has its issues. Mm-hmm. As yeah. It's a fun movie. And I think the advantage was Peg gets Star Trek, and yeah. he and Doug Young wrote a good, fun Star Trek story. There's, there's, there's plot problems, but let's face it. They rushed that script out. They yeah. shot it quickly. Uh, I think they did a great job, and I enjoyed it a lot. And it's certainly in my favorites, in amongst my favorite Star Trek movies. Yeah. I think I think if they had been given uh, more time to work on that version of the script, and you know, for filming and all that, I think it would have been even better. I think they did a oh, yeah. really good job with it with the time they had. 
Absolutely. And I, I'm kind of disappointed that we're probably not going to, Simon Pegg's probably not, and is probably not getting another shot at writing mm-hmm. the next one. But, you know, c'est la vie. Well, as soon as they're like, oh, Quentin Tarantino, uh-huh. ooh, forget everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Tarantino, he may do a good job. Yeah. Yeah, it will be it will be unique, I think. Uh, I'll I'll happily give him a chance. Yeah, I, I don't know how I necessarily feel about it. I mean, that's cool, and I, I'll just be glad that there's another movie. But I, you know, I I, I enjoy his other films. Uh, I think they're they're great. But I, I just it just seems odd, kind of. It but it does he, seem like an odd mix. Yeah, but he seems like he is a Trek fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. So he gets it. Read his interviews. Yeah, and he certainly peppers enough star trek references into his other movies yeah <laughs> yeah all right so that's question number two <laughs> question number three uh well i know that you've been watching discovery so mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on the mirror universe episodes uh you know when they and when they get back to the prime universe are they going to find adjusting to their normal lives difficult oh you know that's an interesting question um I like what they're doing with the Mirror Universe, but I do think it's a bit out of left field. Oh, we're telling the story of the Klingon War, and now we're going to go into the Mirror Universe. Yeah, that is Seems kind of a bit kind of really very much a big left turn. Yeah. Um, and part of me kind of thinks it's more about shock value than, I don't know, the story they're trying to tell, but maybe that's unfair to the writers. I think they've done a good job. I, I think we need to see where, where they go with it. Maybe it will tie I, in really nicely. I think so, and I think it's difficult to kind of judge it without seeing the whole story because you yeah. know we're so used to Star Trek being a story told in forty-five minutes. Mm-hmm. So seeing something told over is it fourteen or fifteen episodes? 15. I can't remember. Yeah, 15, fifteen episodes, episodes is I mean, DS9 kind of did this as well. But yeah, seeing this story, this story told over fifteen episodes, I think it's difficult to kind of fully judge it unless you see the whole thing in perspective i've liked what they're doing i'm enjoying it and i'm enjoying the ride and i'm excited to see this week's episode so hopefully you know in a few more weeks i'll be saying yeah i loved it it was great and not <laughs> oh my god that was terrible mm-hmm. you know so, but we'll see so when when they if if and when they get back to the prime universe would they find their lives difficult you know like readjusting to to the federation and and those I... morals and values I don't think they'll find it difficult readjusting to the morals and values of their feder- of their home universe, assuming they get back there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there will certainly be consequences to them personally. For I mean, you know, last week Burnham sat and ate a Kelpian. You know, yeah. that's going to come back and haunt her. Yeah. Um, she had to kill. She's had to kill people there, which she's had to do before. But you know, people that she's watched die on her own ship. Is she going to be a player in the death of Georgiou in this universe as well? Or is she going to be responsible for Lorca's death in this universe? Or what's going to happen over the next few weeks that may haunt them when and if they get home? I, it's difficult to answer. I, I think the way they're telling the story, I think those consequences may stay with them. Because obviously they are telling ongoing stories. So I would hope that those threads of things that have happened to them there will have a long-term effect next season, and mm-hmm. we'll see some of those issues play out. I guess the other question is, if they get home this season, when are they going to get home? Is it going to be right up to the last episode, or are they going to get home maybe next week, and we'll see a couple episodes for that to play out? 
I do think they'll find it difficult to adjust, but I think it will be more from the point of view of dealing with the things they've been forced to do. Um, I think Tilly may struggle to go back to being Cadet Tilly as opposed to, you know, what she is at the moment. And I think mm-hmm. for Tilly, in fact, Tilly's not going to be able to go back because she's really, she's come out of a shell and she's really grown as a character. I mean, yep. she's not physically Captain Tilly, but she's turned into this very strong character who I think she's not going to be able to put that back in the box back in the box i mean she's going to continue to be that character who has grown in so much in the last 10 weeks or so so i think we're going to see threads of this continue will it be difficult for them i think it will be in some ways yes i certainly think burnham's going to be haunted by a lot of things but Mm -hmm. i also think if i'm reading the way the story is going i also think she may put some of her issues to bed as well, because I mean, she's obviously car- still carrying a lot of guilt about what happened on the Shenzhou. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe what's going to happen here will help her deal with some of those issues. So let's let's switch gears and let's get into uh, into Intrepid. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into making fan films? Uh, that's very simply. Um, I used to run a Star Trek club locally, and it was around about the time that digital downloads were starting to take over. And we we used to meet once every six weeks or so. And I'd hire out a function suite and we'd get projector and we'd show all the latest episodes. Because at the time, people couldn't really watch them easily. Um, and it was the early days of downloading, so I would download stuff and we would watch them in a hotel. And this was becoming... We noticed numbers start to go down because obviously people were doing this themselves. And... Obviously, some people like to come along and socialize. Some people just want to come and watch episodes all day. So we started to see membership dropping. Less people were attending. And that was about the time that I started my I started a new job. And I had a lot less free time because I was working shifts and I was working weekends and stuff like that. So it was fine. It was harder to keep the club going. So I kind of dis- discussed it with the other p- others that were helping run. And we decided, you know what? Time. We're just going to call it off. And at that point, we're thinking let's do something else that we can find something else we can do as a group of us that were this core group of friends that'd be a bit of fun and i we'd all been role players and we had a long long running star trek role playing game some of us did anyway uh and i'd suggest well why don't we do an audio novel because i'd seen a couple of fan films at this point and I, i i didn't think that was something that we could do um i'd seen kind of hidden frontier mm-hmm. and the first starship extra which i absolutely loved um but I didn't think a fan film was something we could do. And that's, so I said audio novel. And I think it was it was Dylan Feeney who wrote our theme and produced our theme who'd said, why don't we just do a fan film? And I was kind of like, okay, let's do a fan film. Maybe we can do it. Um, at this point, Steve Hammond, who's one of the members and a friend of mine for years going back to university, had said, um, I've got a camcorder. So it's like, yes, let's just do it. And we thought, you know, Oh, we see what Hidden Frontier does. You know, they churn out, you know, half a dozen episodes a year. We can do an episode in a year. No problem. <laughs> ah, the naivety of, uh, yeah, not having done anything like that ever before in my life. So, you know, one year kind of turned into about, I think it was four or five that took us to actually produce our first episode. So, yeah, so it was based off the back of our fan club and we were just looking for something to do and we thought it would be a bit of fun. So we thought, let's do a fan film. And we did. So what is Starship Intrepid? 
Starship Intrepid is... Ooh. How to sum it up easily? It's the story of probably not one of Starfleet's better crews. Or at least <laughs> that was the... Out on... Way, way out on the frontier. And they're supposed to be helping set up this colony way out on the frontier with a bunch of colonists that don't really want them there because they just want to get away from Starfleet and having other people tell them what to do and stuff like that. Um, they, res- they don't quite resent authority, but they don't want all that authority to deal with and bureaucracy and paperwork and stuff like that. So we're going out on our own and we're going to build our colony and we're not going to deal with too much nonsense for you guys. But then the Federation says, you're too far out. We're not going out there by yourselves. Here's some Starfleet to look after you. So they don't really like that. So basically that's what it is. Um, so when does it take place? It takes place after Star Trek Nemesis. If I remember rightly, our first episode was supposed to be set around about 2382, which is about three years after Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And then we've kind of progressively kind of moved forward over the years. Um, so we're probably in the kind of... Our more recent episodes are probably set kind of late 20, mid to late 2380s. And uh, what, what's your role on Intrepid? Um... As is often the case with these things, uh, I played the captain of the Starship Intrepid. Um, typically, typecasting produces casting themselves as the captain in their fan productions. Um, but at the time, that seemed like a sensible thing to do because, yeah, I don't know why. Because I wanted to play the captain, basically. <laughs> and nobody argued, so I got to do it. Um, I also have written most of the episodes we've made and maybe written is not the right word thrown together and um i've also kind of produced and i've edited not all of them but certainly most of the most recent ones so what episode is your favorite and why personally um usually what happens is my favorite is the most recent one we've made um we released about this time last year we released i think it was a five or six minute short called um duty of care and i i I really like that one it's a nice short sweet little story um but I also really like one we released a couple of years ago called Nemo Me and Pune Lecesset, which I can't pronounce because it's Latin, which is terrible that I can't pronounce it considering I use the title. It, but um, it basically means it, nobody messes with us, essentially. Um, and I think that's actually a fun... That's a good introduction to Intrepid, actually. There's not too many characters in it. It's a bit of fun. You need to know a little bit of backstory, but it's basically you get all that in the little opening blurb we put up. So that's um, what you would uh, recommend watching first? I, I think so, and it's certainly some of our stronger work. Um, thankfully, the, the interesting one about that, that had kind of a fraught production because we're supposed to be shooting most of it on location in an abandoned train tunnel, uh, and then what happened was it was way too windy. We couldn't really shoot it there. So we shot kind of one scene there, and we had to abandon and go back and quickly set up a green screen to shoot everything else that day so we did the really bad job of setting up and lighting the green screen because we didn't have a lot of time and then we shot all this footage against green screen and then we really struggled doing anything with it and uh, it was actually leo who worked on i'm just gonna check my facts and say i'm not mixing him up for somebody else but 
Leo, who produced Star Trek Deception, Leo Tierney, he actually got on board and did our keying for us. I really hope it was Leo and not John. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Leo. It was Leo. He did all our keying for us on that, and he did an amazing job with something I thought was not going to be salvageable, to be honest. Because um, it, it, it sat edited for a long time. We couldn't get it keyed. Leo took it, and he made it look amazing. And he took something that I thought was going to be a complete train wreck and made it look great. <laughs> so it's a nice little story. It's nice and simple. It's fun. It's by no means perfect, okay? Uh, I wouldn't claim it was, <laughs> but it's certainly one of my favorites of the things that we've produced. So do you have a, a fond memory from any of the previous episodes, like making it or like a fun story or something like that? I have quite a few, actually. Um, <laughs> A lot of my, a lot of my, the things that I've really enjoyed about working on Trepid is, I mean, the shoots are a lot. They're stressful. Don't get, they can be really stressful. We shot on location a lot. Um, and as anybody who's been to Scotland knows, the weather here is really, really unpredictable. So a lot of our shoots are often punctuated by really bad weather. Uh, so we often have a struggle dealing with that. So that can add a degree of stress to it, and sometimes you just have to push on through it. But probably some of my most fun memories, some of my also some of my most unpleasant. Um, our second episode that we, actually I think it was our third episode, but it was the second one we started shooting. We had this large, probably the biggest shoot we've done, and it was this, we booked a weekend away up in Glendall, which is where we've done a lot of our exterior shooting, which is this lovely, un sullied area it's about a mile's drive from where we live but it's out in the middle of nowhere there's no mobile phone service no cell service so we booked um space in there's kind of cabins and things up there so we booked some space up there and we went up for a weekend and there were about a dozen of us and it was kind of the biggest thing we'd done so we went up there for the weekend and it rained <laughs> I mean, and i mean i don't mean just you know a little bit of rain it poured we i mean First day out, we went out to shoot, and the skies just opened. It's like, we can't do this. So, okay, so tomorrow's shoot was supposed to be in the cave that's up there. We'll go to the cave. The cave will be fine. We'll be sheltered. We can shoot in the cave. What we didn't realize was this cave was actually formed by rock that had fallen. So, actually, it wasn't waterproof. It wasn't weatherproof at all. It was cold. It was wet. There was water dripping everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it was kind of horrific. But actually, it was a really good bonding experience. It was stressful, but we all bonded really well. We worked really quickly. We were economical. And it was just a, it was actually a lot of fun in hindsight. Having said that, it's not some of our best footage. It's grainy. It's dark. But you can see what's going on. And it looks very authentic because the tone in the cave, you can see water dripping as we're working. It looks stressful. It looks like we're in a bad situation. So from a filming point of view, it worked out really well. Hmm. Bodo Hartwig, who played Lieutenant Solik in that, was like a re he 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 went above and beyond. I mean, and he, he was supposed to be injured in that scene, so he was kind of laid down and he had a space blanket over him, and he lay there for like you know well over half an hour as we were filming. Didn't tell us that there was a pool of water forming under him, so he sat in this big puddle for at least half an hour. Oh no! Didn't want to break character. Didn't want to tell us, and we're like, dude. He should have said, but he, he, he didn't. Um, uh, you know, total trooper. So it, it was not, at the time, a fun experience. It was cold, it was wet, but actually it was a really good team-building experience, and I actually did enjoy it, and I loved the footage we got from it. It's not professional footage by any means, 
but it was just a fun time, and I think it's, it's the scenes in there are really fun. So that that's probably one of my favourite memories. And when actually, funnily enough, in the same place, not in the cave, but because we did a lot of our exterior shooting for our first episode up there. But when we finished shooting up there, we stayed overnight. We had this big campfire, and that it was a big, clear, moonlit night. We all kind of danced around the campfire and had <laughs> drank beers, and it, 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 that was great fun. So I loved all the location stuff we did up Glendall because it was just it was just a nice place. And sometimes we would camp, sometimes we'd stay in the cabins. It was it was just good fun, hmm. and we bonded. So what's your plan for future episodes? Funnily enough, um, I just had some cast and crew around last night. We were doing a read-through for our next episode, which is entitled A Treasure for the Ages. Um, went very well. There's a few, couple of new cast joining us for that. Uh, we're hoping to start shooting either February or March. We'll probably do the bulk of our shooting in March. Um, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Secondary to that, I've got a couple of longest. This will be about a 15-minute film. I also have a couple of longer scripts that come in around about the kind of 30-minute mark, um, which I hope to shoot after that. Probably I'm going to have to start thinking about crowdfunding for those because they're much more ambitious. And obviously, with the guidelines, these will be split up into two parties, so mm -hmm. two 15-minute episodes. Um, as for crowdfunding, I, I do plan to do it, but I don't think we'll be needing large sums of money for them. Are you uh, are you looking for any more cast or crew for those? Most I've actually filled. There's one outstanding cast member for one of these that I was really struggling to find, and I think I've just filled it. But there may be we may be looking for kind of extras for a couple of those and things like that. So some small roles in these. Okay. Um. I, I might cut this out depending on your answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, do you need a composer? Um, we always need composers. I happen to be a composer. Chat to me. Okay. <laughs> we'll chat. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Have I, I don't need to cut that before? out. Because I know you're involved with, um, oh, God. Ah! I know which one you're involved <laughs> with, and it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Was it, it's, because you're involved with Starbase, aren't you? Well, Starbase Studios. Well, um, You've I, done I, some work for them. I, I work a lot with uh, Vance Major. Uh, so actually, um, I'm the guy behind Project Defiant. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I did know that, and, it was, and I couldn't think and, of the name. And then I also have an audio drama coming out uh, called A Call to Unity. <clears throat> now, I have heard of that. Yeah, so that that will be new. Uh, that, that, yeah, so yeah. that that's in uh, production right now. Uh, hopefully in the next, I don't know, a couple months or so, we'll we'll see something. Cool. It, it's amazing how much work goes into these things, and mm -hmm. they always, always, always take longer than you think they will. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm finding. <laughs> yeah, and it, I always find it interesting because I see people all the time going, eh, I'm going to make a fan film, and you think, and it'll be done, in, uh, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I've got 12 episodes of this, and I'm like, dude... Take a step back. <laughs> do something short and simple. And they're all an hour long, and it's like, do something simple. Mm -hmm. Learn to do this stuff, and then try and do something. But everybody wants to jump in and make an, a 90-minute a movie and an epic arc. And, and it's like, you know, the biggest mistake I made as a fan filmmaker 
was to try and do that at the start because it, it just got tied up in knots. And actually, I'm still dealing with problems that I created for myself by trying to set up an arc, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's really difficult to do these things unless you... Rob Caves did a good job on Hidden Frontier dealing with that stuff, but Rob Caves, for a long time, didn't have a full-time job because he didn't need one. So when you don't work... It's really easy to do these things and produce fan films and churn out hours of material. It's not so easy when you have a full-time job and you have families and other commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I mean, Randy Landers, to give him his due, uh, has produced a remarkable amount of material despite having you know, these pressures on himself. It's not easy, and you need a large degree of time and dedication or being willing to give up your free all your free time mm-hmm. or most of your free time to work on these things which to be fair most of us aren't we just uh we had randy on uh, our podcast a couple of mm-hmm. episodes ago i think i knew that actually <laughs> Is there i'm sure i did else? oh sorry go ahead no no i'm sure i said i'm sure i did know that actually oh, okay is there anything else you want to talk about I can't think of anything off the top of my head at the moment, but okay. then something will spring to mind later, undoubtedly, as okay. these things always do. So then let's uh, – oh, one, one last question. Absolutely. Kirk or Picard? Picard. Wow. Okay. All right. See, if Bill was here, he'd have a lightning round of questions, and uh, he would tailor them specifically you know, for you, but I'm not Bill, and I That's don't have okay. time to come up with those. So, That's okay. So I thought I would just ask that Kirk or Picard. So no, you answered definitely. it very well. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I probably would have said Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, as an older, <laughs> middle-aged fan, um, it's probably been Picard since about, you know, probably since season three of TNG. Good answer. <laughs> So let's uh, let's go back to the trivia question. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see here. Which one is it? Oh, yes. Miles O'Brien. Is it what two pets did he have? He had a cat and a tarantula. Yep. Yeah. And uh, do you know uh, the names? Oh, no. <laughs> so the tarantula is actually a, a Lycosa. Lycosa tarantula. I guess that's how you say it. And that is Christina. And then the cat is Chester, and he actually got it was that. Bilby's, um, Bilby's yes. cat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Chester yeah. is from TNG: Realm of Fear, and the Chester is from uh, DS9: Honor Among Thieves. Yep. Yeah. So you're really Great, good yeah. at this. Great episode. I love Honor Amongst Thieves. It's mm-hmm. such a good episode. But then Cole Meany, you know, Cole Meany can. Again, there's a bit of the there's a bit of the Patrick Stewart about Cole Meany. Uh-huh. He can take. I mean, Honor of Among Thieves had a great script, but Cole Meany can take mediocre material and make it good. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, so you give him a good script, and he really, really, really takes it to another level. Mm-hmm. He's also going to Star Trek Vegas this year, which is quite exciting. Are you going to Star Trek uh, Las Vegas? Hopefully. We went in 26... 20- We've been in 2013 and 2016. It's a bit of a trek for us, and it's really expensive mm-hmm. at that time of year. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping to go this year. Excellent. We went to the 50th in 2016, and we we said that year that this would probably be the last time we went 
because it's really expensive. And then you know, about, and I thought, you know, we've been to Vegas quite a few times. I've probably done with going to Vegas. And then a few months when I went, yeah, I want to go back to Star Trek convention again. <laughs> it's pathetic, but there you go. But I do love Vegas as well. So Vegas and Star Trek together, you can't really go wrong with those. <laughs> so is there anything else? Uh, nothing springs to mind at the moment. Is there anything else you'd like to ask? Uh, see, this is where having Bill would be great because he, he, would, he would know what to ask and what to say. Uh, whereas, you know, I have my, my pre-planned questions and, and that's it because my brain can only think so much. I, I, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I noticed, um, funnily enough, I got into a discussion on, oh God, one of the Trek groups on Facebook earlier today, someone had posted Walter Koenig's, this is probably off on tangent, Walter Koenig's comment about, captain pike being stopped mm -hmm. due to cbs edict mm -hmm. and it's like well that tells us nothing i mean mm -hmm. I, I i donated to captain pike and i'm not criticizing him at all if he's chosen to shut down because he's not have that he doesn't feel he can work under guidelines that's fine mm -hmm. but did cbs tell him to shut down did they choose to shut down who's saying they shut down is this coming from walter koenig has he just been told this was he there when this decision made was made it, I find it frustrating in fan film circles these days because people are so polarized over the whole guidelines thing mm -hmm. and people aren't answering questions. They're just making statements. It's like, well, let's discuss this. But people aren't discussing. They're just shouting at each other. And it's quite frustrating. And I mean, I, I, I don't really have a problem with the guidelines because I don't see the guidelines as a big problem for me. Mm -hmm. I guess for some people are. They certainly weren't a big problem for Star Trek Continues who managed to finish their series. Mm-hmm with no hassle um so I, I i feel people are making more of an issue of the guidelines than they actually are yeah and i think by and large cbs are going to take everything on a case anybody who violates them it's going to be case by case basis and they're only going to step in if somebody really really does something they shouldn't yeah um yeah. That's why and they're I, called guidelines and not rules. Exactly. They're guidelines. They're not laws. People are going, these are not legally enforceable. It's like, well, of course they're not legally enforceable because they're not legal. They're not a legal statement. They're a, do this and we'll, we'll leave you alone. Mm -hmm. And as I've said to a lot of people, the guidelines create a safe space for people that want to use them. If you don't want to take advantage of that safe space, you're not being forced to. You can go into, you can do what we all did in the day, which is, you know, take your chances and pay your choice. I mean, we, you know, when we were making fan films pre-guidelines, we all, everybody that was doing it knew at some point the studio may say, stop that, we're not happy. Yeah. And I think when people are raising, and I'm not criticizing anybody for this, because I think the way things went was it was going to happen one way or the other. But I think when you're raising hundreds of thousands and in some cases millions of dollars on somebody else's intellectual property, Sooner or later, they're going to object to that. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I I don't have a problem with anybody that's crowdfunded their pro projects or any of the money they've taken. I think they took great chances and they, in a lot of cases, did really good work. I don't think there was anything malicious in that. And to be honest, if I'd been in that situation, I, I'm pretty sure I would have done exactly the same. Um, maybe I would have been a bit more cautious. I probably would have been more cautious. But I don't blame anybody for taking those chances. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the whole conversation around all this has gotten far too heated and far too polarized. And people aren't coming at it from from 
an open-minded viewpoint or from a cool oh, this is not good. on both sides of that argument i have to say because people are going well the guidelines are perfectly fair and i think the guidelines are perfectly fair but you're just getting people and they're not moving any forward if that makes sense <laughs> sorry your, your microphone was cutting in and out oh sorry sorry is that better um, I don't know. You gotta say something more. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. So I I just feel that people are at loggerheads so much on this, and instead of discussing it and coming to like sensible kind of agreements about it, they're just continually arguing, mm -hmm. which is frustrating. I mean, as someone who's been making fan films since you know 2003, um, I'm not bothered by the guidelines. Now, okay, if you're if you're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars on crowdfunding and you're putting actual Star Trek actors in them, I can see how you might be a bit kind of like, oh, okay, that's yeah. stopping us doing that. But they've got a right to do that. Yeah. And from, look at it from the studio's point of view. I can understand why the studio would want to stop that, even mm -hmm. if we might not like it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I don't actually, I'm not bothered by that at all. I think we had a good run for a long time on that front. And I think a lot of people who are making, you don't need star trek actors in your fan films you know you mm -hmm. don't there's nothing stopping you using professional actors in your fan films people are worried that they can't they can only use amateur actors it's like you're seeing plenty of professional actors in fan films they're not famous professional actors in fan films but you're, they're still doing them mm -hmm. um I, I find the whole fr thing frustrating because people aren't being calm about it yeah it's always a heated debate and that's really unfortunate and it doesn't need to be mm -hmm. but you know maybe i'm just weird <laughs> i am weird but that's beside the point well shall we shall we wrap it up sure that's fine unless there's anything else you think you want to ask i don't think so okay cool well i hope All that right. was okay <laughs> uh well thank you nick for being on the the final frontier podcast with me Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. And uh, we, we can find uh, Intrepid episodes on YouTube, right? You absolutely can. So you can uh, you can find uh, our podcast on YouTube and iTunes. And um, good night and good luck. <laughs>